Ready? Here we go. Different points of view and highs and lows. A new perspective everywhere you go. Open up your mind, drown out the noise, and see if this connected. And see if this connected. What's up, fam? The mission of this connected podcast is to connect generations and situations about faith, life, and whatever comes along the way. To not necessarily agree, but be listened to. These conversations, of course, highlight the perspective of our various guests, and you are always welcome to agree or even disagree. But as always, we hope that it is done in charity. Now, here's your host, Catholic.Dad. So welcome back, fam, to another episode of this connected podcast. We still have Father Alex Osborne right here, and we're going to talk about this second part of this episode which we're going to talk about things that um that kind of brought us together my questions of of you know what's catholicism like in, in australia and um father welcome back kind of weird thank you it's a pleasure to be back how podcasts happen we just move on segue to another part but you shared a lot of your vocation and i think a lot of our young people um who are who are hearing that i know i i took copious notes uh because that's going to be my next talk um but a lot of people can really relate to the journey that you've had you know in, in your formative years uh, very young 18 years old and um as you said the many mistakes and errors of 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 trying to um uh, well burn down the seminary and with styrofoam cups, fam. That's what he meant by that word that he used. What was that word for? Polystyrene. Polystyrene. Styrofoam in America. Um, <laughs> and um, trying to um, injure the rector of the, <laughs> of the parish. But, um, Father, this is amazing. We were just, um, in the last episode, we were just starting to talk about your first assignment at um Goldman prison and and this is very interesting because that's i work in in a forensic mental health facility uh with 1600 patients and um you were speaking on um where people were losing their faith and and um a lot of the things that you had said resonates with a lot of our community the parents are wondering why are my children leaving the faith so let's continue on that on 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 that vine of of conversation how was that i mean continue with what we had um, left off at sure so i i really struggled to understand this parish i've had to put my phone on charge is it is the voice still um it's still good. clear yep good um so i really struggled uh, it was a town of about 20,000, um, some ways growing. It's sort of in between Canberra and Sydney, um, but a rural area. Uh, still quite a lot of wool, a lot of sheep. Um, and then your sort of average sector, uh, sort of service sector jobs were also very prominent in many ways i could the groups that i could really identify with were um most of the prisoners we had a super maximum security prison maximum security minimum security and then we had the uh, the islamic terror detention unit all of the returned fighters from ISIS had kind of been detained and placed there. Um, the The prison had Australia's worst serial killer. I was terrified that I'd end up doing his funeral, which thank God I um, 
I missed having to preach on that one. <laughs> I found it easier to relate to the prisoners than I did to my own parishioners. Because in many ways, they were mostly young men, most of whom around my own age. Lots of them were eager to talk. Prison is very boring. Um, and being able to talk to someone from the outside who isn't uh, a lawyer or isn't a corrections officer is an experience they don't often get to have, especially during COVID. Um, in some ways, it could be a scary place. Um, going into prison, the, the training was that the big fear uh, that the prison officers were afraid of would be that I'd be taken hostage. They told us horror stories about the psychologists who'd been taken prisoner and held at knife, knife point for days. Um, and what to do if sort of there's a riot or what to do if they, they let the dogs out of the cages and the dogs can't tell who's a prisoner and who's not. Um, I'd be celebrating mass for my small group of prisoners. Um, we're only allowed eight in the, in the room. I'd be celebrating mass in an education room during COVID. And I'd, I'd been told, you've got a duress alarm. Don't worry, you press that button and within 20 seconds, there'll be two police officers uh, in the room and they'll have tear gas and tasers. You'll be fine. If you're in a room with um, eight <laughs> Uh, kind of convicted felons in a maximum security prison. 20 seconds is a very long time. I'd think to myself, what would I do if they all ran and jumped at me now? <laughs> be trying to celebrate mass for them. But I'd also be thinking like, oh, I've got my eye on you. <laughs> um, I found so many of the prisoners to just be so genuine and open. Lots of them struggled. Uh, there were a lot of them who were illiterate, a lot of them with very low education. The majority would come from very traumatic family backgrounds. They'd been victims of domestic violence. Uh, they'd seen violence in the home. Um, Hearing their stories, uh, sometimes I think it's a miracle they didn't end up in prison earlier. Um, there was real conversions that happened amongst those men. I found it easier uh, to minister to them because I knew exactly what it was that they needed. They needed a good moral formation. They needed peace and calm. They needed to be connected to something beyond their day-to-day -day life. If they could go to mass and they'd be taken out of their prison cell and contemplating the mysteries of the Bible, the glory of heavens, the communion of saints, I've given them a world of difference. I'd encourage them to read, in particular, the lives of the saints, which was so instrumental to me in my early years, to give them stories of hope and perseverance, and to try and teach them um, how living out their faith can help them to be better men. I really struggled to understand the same thing with my parishioners. I str lots of them, you had good country hospitality. They'd invite you over, they'd get to know you. But I found it so hard to put myself into their struggles. I could understand um, the one topic that kept coming back and 
I don't know whether it's I'm young myself and I'm the same age as most of their grandchildren. Um, why don't my grandchildren go to mass? Did I do something wrong? Did I not teach them properly? I... It's a question that you can't really answer from the pulpit. Um, it's forums like this, which is where we can get more understanding. I think from what I could see across most of the Western world, there was a sort of perfect storm of conditions which affected our, our culture. It's quite common in Catholic circles to blame the Second Vatican Council, but it's just not true. I think it certainly played a part. To put my cards on the table, I, I, I believe the Second Vatican Council is the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, I believe there's no difference in the teaching of Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict XVI, and Pope Francis. I see them all in alignment. People blame the Second Vatican Council uh, for some sort of disruption to married life, to family life. And I think they forget their historical context. The Second World War, perhaps not so much in America, which was thankfully, unless I'm forgetting Hawaii, Hawaii was affected. Um, uh, America, by and large, missed out um, on having to fight on your home front. Uh, Australia did too. Back in Britain, the war came home. We had a generation, two generations, including the First World War, of traumatized people. Men who had to conscripted to serve and fight. And these were traditional Catholic countries. These were the, the very intelligentsia of Europe. France, parts of Germany, Italy, Spain had been torn apart in the Civil War. The Irish had been conscripted to fight for Britain in the First World War. Um, there's generational trauma. The havoc that the First World War played on the world economy, which is something very close to home in, in the States. The growing interdependency of the world. The rise in education as well. In itself, a good thing. But with education... Uh, can be the temptation to believe that we can do things off our on our own bat. Uh, the baby boomers were uh, here in Australia and in the UK. I'm not sure about the states, but they were the first generation whom the majority went to university. I'm trying to understand their mindset, and I think for a lot of them they would have thought that they were the most intelligent person in their family. There'd be a great independence. And when we have factors coming in, like the sexual revolution, um, a, great, a great questioning of societal institutions, um, here in Australia and Britain, kind of great questioning around the monarchy, um, questioning about the the role of women in the family in the workplace, questioning about what a family is. All of these questions seem to have hit us at a time when we've had a, a fairly traumatized 
older generation. When we've been on the cups of new and exciting sciences, don't forget the moon landing was around the same time as the Second Vatican Council. We also had access to popular entertainment. Before the 1920s, going to church would have been the most exciting thing you could do. You didn't have access to a radio to listen to programs or a TV. Our life suddenly became a lot more convenient. And we had many compelling reasons to stay home and not go to mass. In Australia and Britain, I don't know if this is the case in the States, we, um, we had a decline in sectarianism. In Australia, being Catholic was very much tied to being Irish. Um, Australia had something called the White Australia Policy, where, um, which was racial discrimination of immigrants. After the Second World War, Australia had, mu uh, had a lot of immigration from Europe, and in particular, Southern Europe. Previously, the church had the occasional English Catholic like myself, but the majority were Irish convicts and Irish families. With the arrival of so many more nationalities, the Italians, Croatians, um, some French, Spanish, German, Swiss, being Catholic was seen as not being sort of tied to ethnicity, um, but seen as it should be, as being a religious affiliation. Society began to be less divided among religious lines. I think uh, the political division, uh, which is kind of crept into most of the Western world, had also begun to be seen in this, this period of time. So we had so many distractions all hitting us at the same instant. I think the mood around the Second Vatican Council was largely positive. People were excited. In England, there was some grumbling. Um, at the loss of Latin, because they said, what's different between us and the Anglicans now? But I think definitely here in Australia, uh, and I guess around the world, it was seen positively. I don't know whether it was um, put into practice in the best way. I've heard some horror stories about priests just turning up to Mass one day and saying, Okay, everyone, we'll do Mass in English next weekend without actually having a, a proper catechesis and proper formation um, or explanation of what the changes are and why. In Australia, um, the great decline in church attendance begins in the late 60s and is cemented in the 1970s. I think it's largely due to contraception and cohabitation. Mm -hmm. Two things which had become a pervasive social norm in this era of sort of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. The church was right and is right. Um, to preach against uh, the hypersexualization of our culture. And I think uh, those of us who are younger can truly see the damage that's been done. Um, cohabitation has become a bit of an economic necessity. Uh, I think I've heard house prices in, um, in Los Angeles it's are... Um, Sorry? It's unaffordable. Unaffordable. 
it is here too in the in the big cities. Um, I think that these factors, as well as perhaps the mentality of your average Catholic, those who've left the church and then come back, or those who've left the church and don't mind talking about why, they often talk about how judgmental they felt, the culture of gossip, everybody knows everyone, of feeling judged when they've done the wrong thing. Those are attitudes we really need to find a better way of going around. I think they they have helped to drive this um, this falling away from the church. I I don't. I've got good news, and I think that uh, the decline, the fall away from the church has stabilised. If you look at our statistics, um, uh, the Catholic Church in Australia has grown since the 1970s, but that's that's largely due to, to mass immigration, particularly from Catholic areas such as the Philippines, parts of Africa, uh, one particular part of in, of India, especially, um, as well as continued family migration from um, from Southern Europe, mm-hmm. uh, and now I'm seeing a lot of uh, Latin Americans move to Canberra as well. Those who were leaving the church have already left. Those who are in the pews now, want to be there, have seen the um, the controversies, and they've been faithful through them. I think the church is entering into a period of great building. It's interesting to see just how many young people, younger than me, usually around 25, or sort of 21 to 25, who are finding appeal and attraction in the church. Um, I've got great hope for the future, as I think we're providing something in our culture which is missing, a great link, belonging, community, um, a very holistic and healthy worldview in a world that's crying out. Um Anxiety and depression, um, being fe- feeling as though you're unwanted. The Catholic Church has wonderful tools and remedies to help us in this state of mind. Our faith is so fundamentally good to us and healthy. We're also something which bridges ethnic divides. Um, one of my jobs here at the moment is a chaplain to Canberra's African community. Um, they're one of my favorite congregations. They're all diplomats, nurses, doctors, and wonderful young families. They've got the, one of the best choirs I've ever heard. Um, to see the true international dimension of the church we have people from all backgrounds all histories united together in the body of christ the church brings true and good unity amongst people in a world which seems to divide us whether that's intentional or not, the church brings um, unity and peace. A big problem that we face here, though, is um, a priest is always preaching to mass-going people. He's not always going out there in the streets, Um 
And quite frankly, most of us are too overworked uh, to go out into the streets and preach. I see my role then is to try and empower my parishioners um, to give them not only that good community that they need and that good preaching, good teaching and good formation, but to give them as well the confidence to empower them to go out as disciples. What do we do when our congregation is kind of tired and worn out? Middle-aged people who are set in their ways, working their, their normal work and spare time goes to their family. That's something I really struggled with, is trying to find out how to help them. Um, I don't know if I really came to an answer. Uh, COVID-19 uh, kind of put a, a halt on a lot of my pastoral work. Um, and I was moved from Goulburn here to Metropolitan Canberra, where I'm assistant priest to our cathedral. And how was, and I'm, uh, the, um, sorry? How was the COVID? Um, how did that affect um, mass in Australia? I know we had lockdowns over here and... Um... Uh, the inability to go physically to mass for quite a bit, I think, uh, for about a year or so. How was that uh, handled in Australia itself? It, um, we, I don't think we ever had the worst of COVID. At first, uh, I remember receiving this shocking communication um back when covid had first begun and we were getting uh, mortality figures out of italy which seemed to be one in ten people who had the disease it would be fatal we i think the whole world panicked yeah. as it was probably prudent to do uh they they enlarged the cemetery in Goulburn. Um, it was sad to see. I, I'd been told to prepare um, if COVID came the way it had done to, to, to Italy, to prepare for something like 2,000 fatalities in this town of 20. Um, It was very, very scary for those first few months when we weren't even sure exactly how the disease was transmitted and whether a vaccine was coming. My parish priest was from Kerala in India at the time, and they, I think India saw the worst of the world. Um, not with the initial wave, but with the second so in many ways, that sort of did hit close to home. Um, one of my great aunties came down with it in in the UK. People did appreciate community in those times. And we very quickly found out who was connected to the parish and had friends and who didn't. It took a lot of pastoral creativity. Uh, this was an old regional parish. Mm -hmm. So most of the congregation did not have a smartphone. Oh. Trying to get them to use a QR code to come into mass was, uh, was a nightmare. Um, uh, people would blame us for these restrictions, for these sort of sanctions they'd say why are you doing this and we'd have to say it's not us it's it's the government's rule <laughs> we're just not trying to get sued uh probably one of the most one of the most heartbreaking were the funerals only 10 people were allowed to be in admittance i had a funeral of um 
uh, a man who had 11 children. And they sort of had to draw straws to figure out who couldn't go to their dad's funeral. I um I won't mention um all the ways we were sort of pastorally creative and trying to in some ways work with or work around these um these restrictions. I will say that we had wonderful police officers in the town who were more than willing to work with us. Um, one of whom said, we are in no way going to prosecute someone for attending a funeral. It was a tricky time because there was so much panic. Mm -hmm. We'd have people chartering coaches from Sydney to come to some of the small towns, buy up all of their groceries because of the, the runs on food in Sydney. Um, I don't think we ever sort of faced kind of uh, that fear ourselves. We had parishioners who owned farms. So I figured um, we'd always be able to, um, to find what we need. Now, in, it's... Um... The whole COVID experience was, I, I believe, super traumatic for for a lot of people, and 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 um, there was a lot of, uh, as you said, there's a lot of frustrations with Catholics, and it kind of leads me to to um, going back to our young adult community. Uh, many of our young adults are very attracted to the extraordinary form of the mass mm. um, at least in our area they're very uh, in in the states very much a very young vibrant active um, young adult community who is attracted to the latin mass um, is, is that true as well in in australia it is True. I um I, I don't celebrate the extraordinary form myself. I've got nothing against it. Um, I do agree with His Holiness, though, that it it can be divisive. It does. Um, my understanding is that these restrictions have come around, not because of the young people, sort of being attracted to it. But because of the priests who refuse to celebrate the ordinary form of the Mass, and then the sort of resurgence of these schismatic critiques of the Secomatican Council, which were popular in the 1960s and then had largely fallen away, apart from some pockets like the SSPX. Um, I worry that, well, there's a few things to say. I think, firstly, our younger generations are craving a sense of belonging, history, identity, and community. Um, if you heard the first part of our podcast, you would have seen that in my own story. Being a part of the history of the church is something extraordinary. I think particularly, you know, if you've come from maybe not the greatest family, you might not know who your grandparents are or were. Being connected to our family, the church, is extraordinary. Um, it is so appealing. The liturgy is like nothing else. It's something that you can't find on live stream. You can't find on social media. You can't find it in a concert. Uh, there's no replacement for the mass and for the sacraments. And as we begin to learn more of our theology and the sort of um, extraordinary form and Latin mass communities tend to really stress this point well, and they do give good catechesis and good formation, usually. 
Uh, I think that it's something which speaks to our need for community and belonging. I think that the ordinary form of the Mass can hit exactly the same notes. Um, I struggle when people sort of say one form is better than the other. Um, and I think as a church, uh, our emphasis should be on making the ordinary form as reverent as we can. However, we have to bear in mind, reverence looks different to different people. Yes. It's a big issue, especially in multicultural places. The Second Vatican Council was tremendous for the churches in Asia and Africa because they could accommodate the liturgy to something which spoke more to them. Japan is a wonderful example where the church is growing quite healthily. The church was able to adapt the liturgy, the celebration of the Mass, from the quite beautiful and extraordinary yet intricate um, highlights of the sort of Baroque um, and sort of late early modern Europe to the simplicity that is so loved by the Japanese people. In a similar way, we see um, in my part of the world, the Pacific, uh, the great love, um, the emphasis on family, simplicity, and local elements, uh, which have been brought into the Samoan and Fijian communities in their celebration of the Mass. In the West, I think we got a bit carried away trying to make the liturgy do things which it didn't necessarily try to do or, or weren't exactly in line with our sensibilities. However, you do look at the 1960s, look at what they were, look at what they listened to. You do have to wonder if these people understood their own culture. Um the world was a very confusing place. My hat goes off to those priests who tried their hardest. Um, Latin mass was still the norm uh, until the, I think it was 72 or 73. And by then the decline in religious attendance had already begun. And I think we were trying to capture people back by kind of variety masses. It's common to see on memes, clown masses. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got to say, they to the Zoomers out there, uh, I've only found evidence of three of those masses ever taken place. Um, the vast majority of priests were a little bit overwhelmed, had a lot of variety in how they could celebrate the mass. And all of a sudden, they had all sorts of armchair liturgical experts coming out at them and suggesting, you should do this, you should do that. I think when we get a lot of options, we normally tend to decide on whatever is easiest and quickest. I think that's led to most Catholic parishes having Eucharistic prayer too most masses and um, yeah, what we call in Australia the four hymn sandwich. Um, so an entrance hymn, offertory, communion and recessional hymn, um, which it kind of seems modern enough so that people feel as though we're trying, but isn't trying enough to push, it at, push us out of our comfort zone. It, it's a very hard job to be a priest, um, to try to understand 
the culture of your parishioners and what will speak to them in this moment and this time. In places where the people are very similar, it's a little bit easier, especially when they're a close-knit community who know each other and one of them will tell father whether something was a flop or something wasn't. In a, in a multicultural city, we just don't know. Um, particularly masses that get a lot of attendance. We don't actually know whether we're doing a good job or not. Um, nobody really tells us that they're coming to mass because we've got a really convenient mass time or that they're coming to mass because they really like our homilies and they're spiritually challenging and the way we celebrate the mass. Um, helps them to grow in love of God and leads them to prayer and contemplation. Very few people actually give priests good feedback. Um, sorry, I think it's just gone midnight and I'm losing my train of thought. Um, so there, I think there'd been a... It's one of the... Sorry? that's always been part of conversation with young adults and in, in, in community and and you you hit the nail right on the head regarding vatican ii vatican ii is a very positive very positive council that that allowed the faithful to be a part of ministry and and i believe it was yes um misunderstandings and and you're right historically um a lot of our young people desire that history uh desire structure and um it's funny when when um when we used to call um the latin mass the, that mass for old people and now we have young people who says the latin mass is for the young people and that novus ordo is for the old people um, mm. so it, it's made that switch but i do believe that that as you said there's when you when you spoke and said that what's needed is that reverence that reverence that i think young people crave is in that reverence um i remember um, a young person said you know we really don't need all of that that happy clappy music i just desire some silence because i live in a world full of noise and i like going to church daily mass because there is no nothing but the mass and um it's silent for me i, I can hear god speaking um whereas when I, I go to mass and it's it's all this noise uh, it, it takes me to a different place not saying that it's good or bad he says there's a lot of us young people who crave a little more reverence and a little bit more silence um in the mass um but again that's a preference and I wanted to state that you said um, earlier, and this is my take on that, that when we look at the mass, um, it's and people who strive for going back to the extraordinary form, we're, we're designed to go back to a very Eurocentric mass. Um, <clears throat> and, and as you said, um, at our parish, we sing the Our Father the way that it is sung in Fiji because we had someone who taught us that and and at first people were like that 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 is just so awkward so weird um but again mass is celebrated culturally in in different places and i think it enriches the church when you have that experience and i think Vatican II allowed us to have that experience as well uh, i'm glad that you know you said that australia is is very multicultural and I think the similarities that we have in the States that you have in Australia is that we have an influx of migrants who are bringing, mm. uh, you know, in, in the States, um, the predominance of Catholicism was in the Northeast, you know, New York, uh, Chicago, Illinois, all those other areas where the Catholic Church is declining but where it is rising is in the southwest, in the south, um, where we have an influx of migrants coming from Latin America 
and Asian countries and African nations. And it's it's funny because um, I just looked at the statistics that there's more Catholics rising in the in the states of Missouri and Mississippi, where which were bastions of of Protestantism, um, and Catholicism mainly is growing over there. So the church is growing um, with with especially young people, but I think where a lot of people who are middle-aged like me uh, wonder is where are they in the mass? I think it's, um, and how is Australia dealing with, with, with uh, ministry to young Catholics? How are you all yeah. ministering to young Catholics? You know, this Gen Z and this millennial generation, what's, what's the focus of, of the church in Australia um, with young Catholics? I I think the I don't want to sound too uh, too cynical or too bitter. We put on a lot of events, um, which kind of enter end up having either sort of charismatic or traditional music. There'll be food. Um, every now and then there'll be a big kind of statewide muster or rally uh, a place to meet each other to listen to good speakers i'm a university chaplain now um yeah as well as a hospital chaplain and and in the cathedral and the african community what i find is that our young people want the truth they want good good knowledge good teaching uh, i think that is a, a reason why so many are attracted to the latin mass and particularly particularly our young men seem to be attracted to very authoritative figures um Our young people also want community. They want to know other young Catholics. They don't want to feel as though they're the last Catholic. I think that's why the Latin Mass kind of snowballs as well, is it kind of only takes five or six guys who are committed to their faith, and all of a sudden there's a reputation that this is where the young people go. Um. In my parish, I've been focusing on trying to attract good speakers, um, trying to have events with plenty of food and drink, um, somewhere where we have access to good quality education and formation, and then plenty of time to talk and mingle afterwards. As a university chaplain, I'm trying to organize a ski trip, a ball, and kind of any other event I can think of. Uh, I like to think of myself like a, an anti-aircraft gun. <laughs> Just fill up the sky with bullets and hope that something hits. Um, because our young people come from all over the world and from every type of background. We, unless we know them very well ourselves, we, we can't really tailor uh, something in particular. It's one aspect where the internet has been phenomenal in giving Catholics the opportunity to educate themselves. I find my role as a university chaplain isn't so much to catechize people who are ignorant about the faith, but to tell them what to Google and who to YouTube try to put them in touch with good resources because if they're interested and if they have a love for this they're going to go down that rabbit hole uh, i've just uh, i've come up with a new way of doing my catechism classes oh. i call it confrontational catechesis uh, i'd recommend give it a try at a youth group 
I give the students a statement on the faith. They get 15 minutes in silence to read it. I ask them if they've got any burning questions. And then I play devil's advocate and I attack the faith. They have to defend. This way they, um, they wrestle with some really good questions and they get the confidence to defend the faith in front of their friends or their colleagues, their co-workers, when they, um, when they have these conversations. So we teach them not only what the faith is, but how to defend it. It's a really interesting way. I took, um, I took the students through the incarnation not that long ago, and I ended up giving them the sort of questions and objections posed by the sort of early heretics uh, to see how they would do in the place of the church fathers. They love the challenge. Mm -hmm. And if they don't know, we're always there to, to help them out. I think by and large as well, another factor which is so attractive to the faith, to young people about the faith is the possibility of a good marriage. Um, I've spoken to so many young men and young women who say that, you know, all they want, what's written on their heart, is to have a husband or wife and kids. They love and are attracted to what they call a traditional family. Um, and it's something that the world doesn't seem to give. It's something which seems to be hard. If we can keep to our family values, um, I think we'll, by being wholesome, holy, and virtuous, will will attract so many people. As certainly I've had so many people, I've come across a few converts where the seed that was sown was a boyfriend or girlfriend who had good family values, was a practicing Catholic, or that they would lie awake at night and wonder, how am I going to find a girl who's got good values in this day and age? And then they began down the path of sort of sort of what is it about the church which has led to to family? I think as well we're seeing a reaction to this to the evils of the sexual revolution. Um, it breaks my heart, uh, honestly. Um, a sexual assault on the university campus, the amount of pornography addiction, uh, a world in which 16-year-old girls are ogled by old men in public. Rather than seeing free love as some benefit or ideal, I think people have begun to crave for sexual responsibility. People are sick of um, sex scandals being constantly in the newspapers. They want to know how to fix these issues. And there's only, our society only really presents two solutions. Either completely liberalize and open everything or return to traditional values. If you were to ask me about my hopes for the future and how I see um, how I see the church growing, I can say I think in a hundred years' time, uh, Catholicism, Islam, and possibly 
possibly Hinduism, will still be the main world religions based on birth rate alone. Hypersexualization is terrible for birth rates. When we grow up in a society where we have no, no security, um, it's very hard to own a, a home. It's very hard to have a family. We'll still see the Western world have great opportunities. And so we'll see our countries become more and more multicultural, which will be of great benefit to the faith. Uh, people who are mixed race are the fastest growing population in the world. And I think that's where the beauty of the church is really seen. We don't grow up being half British, half Australian. We grow up being Catholic. We see that the church is able to bridge all of these gaps. You look at places as diverse as Brazil, um, Mexico, East Timor, Poland, uh, Portugal, um, the Chaldeans of Iraq, Catholics in Uganda, people from all over the world are held together with a common faith. There are very few other things which can hold us in unison. Our longing for history as well and belonging and a sense of who we are, that's never going to go away. And our history can never be changed. If we can sort of divorce a longing for Catholic tradition from a false Eurocentrism, personally, as a European myself, um, uh, I think Americans kind of fall prey to a romantic view of what Europe is or what Europe was. Uh, it's something Australians fall into too, uh, particularly with Britain and Ireland. Having a sober and honest look at the truth of, of the church expressed in different ways throughout history will lead us to greater truth of what the church is. The church of the future will be even more diverse than she is now as new cultures and new sort of fusions between cultures emerge. I hope that we sort of see this all as um, kind of a, a big family where we have our Our sort of almost uh, kind of familial recognition between our uh, the um, the Catholics of Vietnam, you know, their songs always sound so sad. The Fijians are always happy to see everyone. Um, the the Sura Malabar of India, uh, kind of some of the most determined people you'll ever meet. And the, the Catholics of the Middle East, some of the most grateful people in the world. I think that the church provides the answer to so many of our questions. Family breakup, poor mental states, a loss of identity, a grounding principle in an uncertain future. And then there's the things which modern technology can never promise us. Eternal life, immortality, the fullness of truth and love, and ultimately being able to look God our Father in the eye at the end of it all and for him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So I encourage you, young listeners, and your old ones too. Before anything, seek the truth. Live honestly. There's no need for us to be defensive or fearful around each other. We're all Catholic. Let's just open our hearts, be vulnerable to one another, 
and let the Holy Spirit speak so that we might go and evangelize this great and wonderful world. Amen. Wow. I think you just you just nailed it right there, right on the head, Father. And on that note, we should end so that you can take a you should go to bed. It's way past midnight in Australia. And uh, all right. <laughs> and uh, I I should make breakfast for my wife. But I want to thank you, Father, for coming on the show all the way from Australia um, to share with us your wisdom. You, you, those last words truly resonated. I think those last words that you just said, everything that you said, but especially those last uh, words that you said, totally connected, I believe, with me and I believe with a lot of our young listeners and their parents to understand what the state of our church is, the universal church. And I think what we shared here is that there's a lot of things that are very similar of what's going on in Australia and what's going on in the States. Um, and that's a, that, that is a universal problem that we have in the Catholic Church. And it is beautiful. It is beautiful to have these issues because that means that we are alive and that we continue to, to grow. So these states where, where the conditions that we find ourselves in, where we argue with each other, well, that's family. And family is always full of arguments, and and that's what makes the ark so beautiful and smelly and uh, wonderful at the same time. So, on that note, fam, we're going to close up on this episode of this connected podcast. We want to thank Father Alex Osborne from Canberra, Australia, for being our guest in these last two episodes. As a usual, if you want to connect with us, send us an email at catholic.dad50 at gmail.com go to our instagram page catholic.dad to see all the resources we have available for you Um, also um, if you want to support the podcast go to our patreon page and be a patron remember 100 percent of your donation goes to support youth ministries out there that doesn't have a paid youth minister and doesn't have a budget so that's where our funds go so we don't make actually we lose money on this podcast so that's okay it's all for god's work so on that note fam as usual please pray for us we'll be praying for you and as always live a life of holiness be blessed and be third different points of view and highs and lows a new perspective everywhere you go open up your mind and drown with the noise different generations of the girls and boys so sit back and relax this cat the podcast don't overreact if the thoughts are abstract when it's hosted by catholic dog dad who knows what's gonna happen hey what's up fam different points of view and highs and lows a new perspective everywhere you go open up your mind and drown with the noise and see if disconnected. What's up, fam? To connect generations and situations about faith, life, and whatever comes along. Best back, runaway thoughts like a runaway train. Break into conversation like links of a chain. Make a Hail Mary pass. Hope disconnects. Have a question for a guest? Put it to rest. Live a life of holiness. Lead by example. Follow at Catholic.dead and then he tingled. <laughs> Christ leads our way, he's the good shepherd. Pray for one another, be blessed, and be there. Different points of view and highs and lows. A new perspective everywhere you go. Open up your mind and drown with the noise. And see if disconnected. This connected podcast is brought to you by The Cabin. Want to get away and get some peace and quiet and rest? Yes, rest, but not too far away from home or the city? Want to experience a true log cabin feel in the mountains? Well, I have the recommendation for you. The Cabin is a two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath that will do just that. With a beautiful wood fireplace lit and a glass of wine, you are sure to relax. With easy access from the main highway, private parking, easy access with stairs to the entrance, fast Wi-Fi, a full-size kitchen, and all the essential amenities will make your stay a memorable experience. This cozy log cabin was built in the early 60s with its original wood fireplace and a newly transformed deck with beautiful views of the San Bernardino Mountains. So, book your stay at the cabin in Running Springs, California. The cabin 
located in the San Bernardino Mountains, is a beautiful place to see the beauty of God's creation. I have known the proprietor of the cabin for many years. She has always supported the youth and young adult ministries of her community, as well as this podcast. Check out the cabin on Instagram at the cabin twenty twenty one. Again, that's at the cabin twenty twenty one. T H E C A B I N twenty twenty one.